Welcome back to Conspiracy What in Extra Caps. I don't know what that means, but it's Spooktober Part 5. My brain was like, this is part two. That makes it confusing. This is... <laughs> it's Spooktober Part 5, Enfield Haunting Part 2. So technically, it's Spooktober Part 4, Part 2. <laughs> That's... To the second power. <laughs> now that we got that out of the way. Mm. Did I already say the podcast name? My name is Allie. And this is the finale of our Spooktober. You made that joke last time. I made a slightly different joke last time. My name's Cameron. I'm the annoying one. And with us today... Uh, I'm Jen. <laughs> she she's was, unsure. She was Jen last time, so we're going to assume she still is. <laughs> and joining us tonight as well... That is Bill Wilkins, the man, the myth, the terrifying legend. Uh, he is known as the voice of the Enfield haunting. Did we say we were talking about the Enfield haunting again? Well, I hope people know that because it's part two of part four. <laughs> so hopefully if you haven't listened to the first one, then you probably didn't read the part two of this. I would recommend now at this moment going back and listening to that. Anyway. Bill Wilkins. He is the voice that was coming out of an 11-year-old girl. And part of the reason why the Enfield Haunting is so famous is because you usually don't have such just solid recording of a spirit coming out of a person in terms of a possession case. So he became famous for this reason and for the fact that like they claimed things like it came out of like the back of her neck and things like that. So there's a whole lot associated with it. And as I said from last episode, um, Gross had just kind of mentioned, hey, now the only thing that's, that can happen is a voice telling us things. Right. And now Janet seems to have voices coming out of her. Right. And actually, it, it started initially like actual sounds were barking noises. Right. Yeah. Did you read about the barking noises, Jen? Yes. There's an heard, I heard um, footage of the barking. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty legitimate sounding, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it is. I think that's the scariest part of this whole story, especially the video footage of Janet and the voice coming out of her. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So, so it started with the barking and then it kind of like, like I guess the way it progressed is Gross asked it to say his name mm-hmm. and then it did. Mm-hmm. And it's recorded that he did. So I, I think the creepiest about the voice is his curiosity about women's periods. Yeah, it's a lot of gross shit. <laughs> and he won't, he like won't drop it. <laughs> like, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, the voice says a lot of weird things. Like, why do girls have periods? And it curses a lot. And they claim that this is another explanation for like, apparently why it's not Janet. But I feel like it kind of is an explanation for why it's Janet. There are definitely two camps on this, I think. And not much of like a middle ground. Because when you listen to it, Jen, did you see the the reporter interview where yes. she's like, where you see her talking? Yes. Right? Yes. Now, yes. it for some people, comes off as totally real. And then you have the other camp which comes off as not real at all. Like that think it becomes more fake when they see this because it's very odd that they even got her on camera. Right. 
because one of the most important parts of this is that originally she only spoke if you couldn't see her. Right. Or rather, Bill only spoke if you couldn't see Janet. And that was so important. But like you said, so like, tell us about like the news recording, because it's weird, right? Yeah, so one, you can tell the girls are very awkward and uncomfortable with all this. But they're just trying to explain some of the the activity around the house, the paranormal activity. And then you kind of, they kind of um, giggle, kind of, they're like shy, almost sheepish. And yeah. so they think like, oh, are they teasing? Are they playing a trick? But, and Janet covers her mouth a lot. She covers her. Yeah. Oh my God. She's so fidgety. <laughs> She's very but, fidgety. Honestly, when that voice comes out of her, there's like, there's no fucking way she is doing that. It is, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to explain because the voice, even, even me trying to imitate it is almost impossible. I know. And it's so even. The scratchiness, the gruffness of it. It's just, it's, it's unreal. She doesn't have a deep voice either. No, it's very like. High-pitched and really soft-sounding. Even into adulthood, her voice doesn't change much. If anything, her voice becomes higher-pitched later. Yeah. And one thing that uh, you were saying is, like, it's really hard to do, right? Like, normal people can't really do that. And something that is really going with, like, the, the poltergeist thing is that usually if you try and do that voice, you'll, like, legitimately fuck up your vocal cords. Yeah. Because they found that a voice like that doesn't actually come from your, your larynx. Is that how you say that? Larynx. Larin- larynx. <laughs> Part of your throat that actually makes voice sounds. Your vo- it, they said specifically the vocal cords. Yeah. That was it coming from. Yeah. But it, it comes, that kind of voice comes from like, uh, like false chords that are right above your vocal cords. Yeah. They're and, like flaps. They're called... Uh, Vocal folds is what they're called. So yeah. usually you only talk like that if you like lose your voice um, or if you try really hard yeah. and it hurts. So basically their whole thing is after even a couple minutes of doing this, you can actually damage your throat. Mm-hmm. And she would talk like this like on and off for hours at a time and didn't seem to be in pain or have any problems. She just seemed normal and talked well, and- normal. They brought in a speech therapist to to monitor her her speaking and not speaking. Yeah, and they know that the voice came from her throat. They know that it comes from the vocal folds in her throat. The problem is how she switched. Like you've been talking about, like how does she switch on and off so frequently? And it's so smooth when she does it. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't falter at all. You can't hear Janet come through when she does the, the creepy voice. Oh, I was going to say, by the way, to the listeners, you, if you go on YouTube and type in, like, the Enfield Haunting or the Enfield Poltergeist, you can find these, this footage. That's how I found it. It's, there's no, like, it's not super secret info <laughs> it's out there yeah it, we can do another one just so people can hear again like no. what we're talking about so she Look would turn herself. around and she would they that's when the voice would come out and then they did a test where they put tape over her mouth and made her hold water in her mouth that they, she then had to spit out after the test to see how this voice was happening and even with that they claim they still got the voice now i couldn't find the actual audio from that test i found video of them making her drink the water putting the tape over her mouth putting a collar on they can they can get the voice like what smokers wear after they can't like use their vocal cords properly uh they they put that on her and then nothing i couldn't find any video of the actual test itself which is extremely irritating now it might be out there i might just not have dug deep enough but i mean i looked everywhere I couldn't find it. But this is what it sounded like again, just so people <sighs> remember. You're invisible. Why are you invisible? Sound like you. Hey, uh, hey. 
That's one of the most famous lines. Uh, the ghost is talking about being invisible and people can't see the ghost, which they're asking you know, why aren't they able to find it when it's around Janet and talking through Janet and it says it's invisible. Then that was the person asking why or how are you invisible? And he says that he's a ghost. It's one of the most famous moments of Bill toying with them basically. And he spells out ghost rather than actually just saying it. Yeah. He's a real comedian. Well, (laughs) another thing with that one is the letters are so enunciated, you know, like G H O S T like T you really need to like, like click your thumb your tongue on the top of your mouth to get a T sound. Nope. I can't do it. See? Yeah. It's just like, how do you do that with just your throat? I don't get it. I mean, try it. Cause I mean, considered how to do it. Well, and with your, like, even with the ventriloquist theory, like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, how do you even train Allie, yourself you do to do it? No. Yeah. I don't even want to, like, entertain it in case it does happen. What? And then, like... <laughs> Just do it. Do it. You got this. No. I'll turn away. <laughs> That's okay. You do it. Oh. Uh, I'm a... I'm a G-H-O-S-T. But you're still moving your mouth. I'm a G. O-S-T. That's, like, the closest I can get. But you're still totally moving She bites her bottom lip is what she does. She goes. Does she, or does she just have like a huge? Oh, OST. But does it? How does your throat feel after trying to do that, though? It hurts, right? Like actually, legitimately, my throat feels fine. Yeah, Uh, but you're a dude. Well, an adult man. I also did stuff like that for theater. Like you learn how to like use that part of your voice. So maybe that's why. But she does do. Like thinking about it, like the she reason she is a small girl. The big, the big thing is she doesn't do her. She she doesn't move her mouth, which is like one of the biggest things people say. You can see in some clips her lips definitely moving. Yeah, but, but it's more just like twitching. It could be twitching because she's very she's a very twitchy person in general. She likes to move a lot. She does bite her bottom lip, and if you've ever watched a ventriloquist, someone like uh, Jeff Dunham, Jeff Dunham, he does that same thing. He bites his bottom lip. And it's what keeps him from being able to move his lips. Mm-hmm. It's just a trick that he does where he bites it and he pulls back on his mouth. And she's doing the same thing in the interview. Now, they okay. wouldn't have known this originally because every time originally they had to turn around. So they weren't able to watch her actually do this. But the interview is one of the first times you see her straight on doing it. And you can see her throat move. And you can see her lip twitching. It's just, it's hard to tell whether or not it's actually her talking. And that's, she claims it comes from the back of her neck. She claims it feels like a hand is holding her neck and speaking mm-hmm. through her like a, like a puppet, like a ventriloquist puppet, mm-hmm. which is also kind of creepy. It's like a really creepy image to have. Yeah, that yeah. is. Just, <laughs> yeah. Think about an old man holding oh, the back of her neck, making her talk like a puppet. Oh, what? thanks cam you're welcome i didn't want to sleep tonight that's the really creepy image again i want to mention if you've seen the conjuring 2 uh that water test is done in that movie however it's not done the same way and ed warren had nothing to do with it in real life so conjuring 2 is incorrect it's a good movie it's incorrect but yeah so that that news camera was like a big moment and there, there are discrepancies on that for sure because like Ali and I were watching it and one thing I noticed re-watching this is at one point the reporter asked because apparently Margaret could do the voice too. I think we mentioned that. I never mm-hmm. found proof of that. I never found a clip of her doing the voice or doing any voices at all. Yeah. But apparently she did. So the reporters were asking her about it. However... Margaret, they they say, well, are the voices present right now? Like, could we hear them? And Margaret goes, no. But in the same exact breath, she goes, no. The Janet, she does the voice. All of a sudden, the voice just goes, yes. Hmm. Which is, it's a really weird moment. And I remember, like, it's kind of uncomfortable to watch because it feels like Margaret's not expecting that, but not in a, like, way of like it's she doesn't ghost. look scared she like rolls her eyes she looks annoyed yeah 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 she does and they both 
yeah, they both look like they, I don't know, they just both look very sheepish. Yeah, there's a couple times in that interview where, (laughs) where, like, Janet will say something or, like, laugh or, like, say no to, like, a question, and Margaret will go, stop, shut up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Margaret didn't start developing these, like, psychosomatic symptoms, which is basically what this is, until Janet did. So Margaret was second. She was also older, and she was second to develop all of this, which is really weird. But again, we'll talk more about that. I just, I wanted to bring that up because that whole interview is fascinating. But it yes, is. it's really interesting. Is it Bill who talks about how he died in the house? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Tell the story. <laughs> um, so what? He lived there with his family and then um, he sat in a chair and had a hemorrhage, brain hemorrhage and died. Mm-hmm. And the voice tells the story through Janet. It's kind of hard to, I had to listen to it like three times to really hear the story coming out of him versus being told by Guy Playfair that that's what he was saying. Um, And so, yeah. So then I guess they got in touch with the family or neighbors. Like specifically the son, I think that they contacted. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, that, that was my dad, and that happened, and that's how he died in the house. Now, granted, neighbors like to gossip, and, and it's possible that they told the Hodgsons about that. That's one yeah. skeptic's theory about how Janet knew it. But again, the voice is, she would be a very talented ventriloquist if she could do <laughs> yeah well that was another thing too is like the son apparently like they recorded it and when he listened to the recording he said yeah that sounds just like my dad mm. which <laughs> fuck that yeah i'm out <laughs> and the dad died one of the things that was weird for me is the dad so or not the dad the dad of the one of the son but this guy was just a random guy who lived in the house before his wife lived with him after he died she moved to a flat down the road she died shortly after Uh, But Bill Wilkins, the interesting thing is he died right before not just them moving into the house, but right before Janet being born, which is Mm -hmm. a really weird. Oftentimes when you look at supernatural and poltergeist cases, you'll find things like that. And it's, it's really weird because like it, it makes you question in terms of the poltergeist activity. Is this something latching on to like this newborn baby? And that, then is like that becomes like a prime question in this whole thing because the timeline works out in a very strange way. Yeah. So basically the entire time Janet's been in this house has been the entire, like, you know, like the full set of years that this guy's been dead. So it's, I don't know. It's just one of those weird coincidences. Like we talked about coincidences in the last episode, this kind of plays out as a coincidence as well. It's a very odd one. But yeah, I mean, she knew the exact details, which Peggy said she had never told her and that she wouldn't have told her because why would you? Those are gruesome deaths. And what Peggy said, this is one thing that uh, is interesting, is Peggy claimed that no one in the neighborhood knew where he died because nobody gave them that information. They wouldn't give them that information. So only Janet knew where he died, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, she had like all the specifics. Right. It it was the chair in the corner of the room when you're watching the son's interview of Bill Wilkins' son, where he Mm -hmm. like, that's where you can tell he's really weirded out because Mm -hmm. she shouldn't have known that, basically, is what that comes down to. Yeah. I, there's certain things I think you could accredit it to. I know there are people that say like someone in the neighborhood told them, which it's possible someone in the neighborhood knew. Uh, it's also possible that someone else knew and it's something that was talked about on the playground. One thing that Janet brings up later in life is that she was very much, she and her brother specifically were very bullied on mm-hmm. at, at the schools mm-hmm. because they were called like the ghost children and stuff like that. That She said they were spit on all kinds of things. So it also wouldn't be surprising if someone had mentioned to her that the man died in his chair and where kids are pretty brutal. So that's also a possibility. But the truth is, is that nobody knows why she knew that information. So 
I think the only way this actually ends up escalating is when the kids, including the brother, starts seeing like full-on apparitions, supposedly. And this is like the only part where the brother actually got to play a part. Because I guess he was the first one that actually saw something. I don't know if it ever anything ever said exactly what he saw. I think they mentioned that somebody, I don't remember if it was anybody in the house, but somebody saw like a bright light. Like so it was like a hovering light bulb, just kind of like go into the front door. And so that that's like one of the apparition things. Yeah, I mean, the, basically by the end, Playfair mentions that Throughout this entire process, uh, every kid was seeing something. All three were seeing something. And the boy, again, not brought up much. It seems like he was seeing stuff, but everyone was like, go away. You're not part of the story. So he just had to go away. But uh, basically, one of the biggest things that ended up happening with like the apparition thing is the dreaming at night. What would happen is they put these recorders in there and they started hearing... Uh, Margaret and Janet talking to each other at night and they would go in there and they would see that the kids are totally asleep. These kids are totally asleep, not awake at all. So they say, and they were talking to each other in their dreams and having full on conversations back and forth between their two beds, talking to each other in their dreams. And he said he went to go wake Margaret up during this And he like shook her awake because she was very, very much out, like almost in a trance-like state. And then she woke up and she had no idea what had happened. She, She was very calm when she woke up, he said. Like she wasn't weirded out by the fact that this man sitting on her bed going, wake up, like, which would freak me out, but whatever. She's just like, how do you do, sir? And over in the bed next to her is Janet and Janet's still asleep and she is just, speaking continuously, but she then says, according to Guy, she says, uh, Margaret, where did you go? And she's still dreaming. So that's one of the instances for him of them like psychically connecting over dreams, which is a really interesting thing that happened if they were indeed asleep. And this was all spoken out loud. This is everything they could hear, everything they were saying. And this is around the time that Margaret also claimed to have the voice speaking through her. As we said, it's, there's no proof of that. There, there's literally no audio evidence that they ever put out to the public, at least, that shows that Margaret spoke with the voice as well. Uh, okay. So that one's hard for me to believe. But Margaret did have more and more psychic activity kind of build up. At one point, Guy went into the room alone with her, and he said that he turned around for half a second, and her doll flew across the room. And he was like, okay, she probably threw that. Damn right. it, those fucking dolls. <laughs> right? And they no. just they just fly. So he gave it back to her. He left the room. He then comes back after he hears a thud. The doll's back on the floor. So then he gives her the doll. He goes to set down his notepad. And he says, he sets it at the, she's underneath the covers on the bed. She's awake. She's awake through all of this. And he sets down the notepad he says about a yard away from her on the bed he turns away for half a second which is usual with guy playfair i feel like he just needed to stop turning away man could have used a gopro pay attention if gopro was around then we would have solved all of this with him but he turns around and his journal flies off the bed lands like three feet away from it and then after he picks that up he hears the drawers shaking on the dresser which that's the only thing i think he hears that couldn't have been her. Do you have How a are these apparitions? <laughs> I just, these were all, I just was doing the psychic buildup. And it leads into the next thing. Okay. Yeah. But the drawer shaking was the only thing that I read in there that I don't think was her. Uh, he says that he, that they both turned to the drawers and that she claimed that they had heard that while they were on vacation. That was like a whole thing that happens. They went on vacation and like one of the only things that happened was drawers were shaking, but that was a whole nother thing. Uh, pesky downstairs neighbors. Yeah. Pesky. Down- I don't think they had downstairs neighbors. How do you know? Well, I guess they did. Didn't they? Bum, bum. So that's apparitions and partial apparitions and psychical research. <laughs> oh yeah. Sometime around kind of, 
like the the wind down of all of this, uh, Janet was actually sent to a psychiatric hospital for a short time, just to make sure she wasn't fucking crazy. And they did all kinds of tests on her, and like like the brainwave tests, the whole nine yards, and everything came back totally normal. So they sent her back home. Cool. And yeah, that's that's really all I had to say about that. Uh, did you read about them faking it, Jim? Yeah, that's part of like uh, in the interview with Guy Playfair that I listened to. They were talking about he was talking about the the small pranks the girls would would play yeah. him and the difference between those pranks and the poltergeist activity, which he feels like is proof. <laughs> so that's and of course they have to address pranks because people are gonna people are gonna use that as as evidence of a hoax right yeah exactly it's they're playing tricks on you so he actually brought up like they you know they hid the tape recorder they um they were bending the spoons you know that kind of stuff but he compares it to like he's like there's they these were children teasing the adults and then the poltergeist activity was completely different. Yeah. Yeah, And I thought it was funny that he (laughs) tried so hard to differentiate between those two things, Mm -hmm. but they were like definitely caught. There is a direct quote from Janet from one of the documentaries we watched. And she says specifically, uh, she was asked about whether or not they faked it. or if they were ever caught is what she specifically asked about. But she says, oh yeah, once or twice we did just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us. They always did, is what she said. Yeah, she was trying to say that they were testing how on top of it they were. Yeah. And she said, when asked how much of it was fake, she said, I don't know, maybe about 2%. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know, this is one of those things that's, like, is this proof that you can discredit the whole thing? Because, like, obviously they were faking something. Or is this just the investigators being very thorough and catching things the proper way? Could be both. It could. Yeah, I mean, it could be that they're thorough, so they were catching things that usually you wouldn't because they're good at hoaxing. But it also could be that the girls were just faking everything and they got caught on some stuff. And that's what the argument is. This, this is, I, I've never seen a case so divided, I don't think, as the Enfield haunting. It is extremely divided. There are people even in the paranormal community, as we talked about, that don't think this is a paranormal case at all. So it's not even just divided on the side of like skeptics are like, nah, and Poltergeist fans are like, yeah. It's divided <laughs> in all aspects. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. That is something to throw in there. It's, <laughs> is this real or faked or what percentage of which is what? Yeah. Um, so this, um, the fact that it has, it's just stayed relevant after all these years of, you know, a legitimate haunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the weirdest thing with this is like how it ended. Quote yeah. unquote, like, yeah. Did it end or did it just, did they kind of just get bored and like. It ends I don't, on a whimper for sure. So the footage of Janet as an adult, I'm just like, she looks like she's still being fucking haunted. Oh my God. The woman looks like last podcast on the left said it the best way. Like every time you see her, she looks like she has a gun being held to her head at all times. Like. <laughs> She is so timid. Like she lives like inside of herself. It looks like her voice is even softer than it was before. Like the Janet as a child that we see is like, you know, like really sheepish, but also like really playful. And usually she's the one that looks like the most hyper out of the siblings. But like as an adult, even her eyes, she can barely make eye contact with the camera. She, yeah, she's, I she she has some problems for sure. Uh I, I don't think there are any really 
like, I don't think her problems are really any different than when she was a kid, honestly, like some of the things that we didn't really dive into is, uh, so the dad is something we obviously didn't talk about. He wasn't very present. He came around maybe every other week to deliver the money that he owed the mom for being a shit parent, basically. (laughs) And he was abusive to the mom. Peggy talks about that. And she knows that her kids saw that. So whenever he would come back around, Margaret and Janet would hide. They didn't want to see him. They didn't even like to be at the house when he showed up. And one of the things that we know for sure, because Playfair and Gross mentioned this a lot, is that the poltergeist activity shot up whenever he was supposed to show up and after he showed up. So there was something involved with the dad as well, regardless of what side of the camp you're on. And they don't know completely what that is. A guy's idea is that it was uh, basically the trauma and torment of the father brought on a lot of the poltergeist activity, which he talks a lot about. And he thinks that that's what started the whole poltergeist activity. Uh, I mean, there's also the other side you can go with that he, you know, might be the reason for it in a more grounded way that he causes the children to act out because of how scared they are of him. Um, But yeah, I mean, like you said, Ali, this ends, it just ends kind of. It's It's almost like they, they just decide that, it's there's nothing more they can report on and they're just like well this yeah at the at this house in enfield yeah family never i know it was like low-income housing but just the fact that they're not like getting the fuck out of there yeah like why would you stay in a haunted house like for like a year and or two and a half years right like well a peggy stayed there her whole life why she never moved out peggy never moved out so going into that janet says she was asked more recently in an interview uh what caused it to end and she said that a priest came by basically and that a priest came to the home and after he came to the home everything kind of died down she kind of explained it and guy kind of talks about this they both kind of explained it as whatever the priest brought with him brought down the poltergeist activity. Hmm. And now do you say that? Do they say that before? So remember there was when the conjuring two came out and they were doing a bunch of press for it. That's when the sisters started like, giving Lorraine more props. Yeah. 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 I, oh my God. I don't know. I feel like a lot of like the, the Ouija board thing and like in the movie, the girl gets like wrapped up and choked by a curtain and Janet says that actually happened to her. But I feel like that was all like post conjuring, you know? So I feel like there's kind of like a, the media wants more story story and there's the actual 1970s story. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's all hard to say really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was trying to find where the report that I was reading came from. I mean, I know where it came from. I was trying to find when it came from. You 2015. Yeah. So really very recent to that was 2015. Conjuring 2 was 2016. So she said this before the actual like full tour for Conjuring 2. Uh, mm-hmm. She said the priest thing. However, the movie was being made at that time. So, you know, toss up on why she said it. But yeah, I mean, the, according to her, it was a priest. I didn't ever hear Gross or Playfair talk about that. Yeah, me either. They kind of just said it died down. But according to what Janet says, the priest came in, brought something with her, or the priest brought something with him, and it basically quelled. Now, it didn't completely knock out the poltergeist. According to Peggy and Margaret and Janet, the poltergeist still continued all the way up until Peggy's death. Yeah. And it didn't, but it, it didn't continue in the normal way. It, 
Peggy explained it as literally being like almost annoying because nothing real was happening anymore. Instead, it was just like a knock randomly or it was like a pan falls or like, or like a chair slightly moves. And she, you know, nothing crazy at all. I mean, almost what she describes to me is I lived in an old house where the house that I lived in was over a hundred years old. They creak, they, they knock, they mm. bang, they, they do weird things because they're old. They're settling into the ground still. And, you know, like eventually they will just fully settle in and keep going. Keep going. I feel like it's, um, like they just got used to it. I honestly, looking at the the interviews with Janet and Margaret as adults, I I don't think it stopped. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think they just learned to live with it. And and that's kind of what Janet makes it sound like. At least now that she talks about it, she refused to talk about it after it was over until her until her mother passed away. I think we mentioned that last episode. But just to bring it up again, uh, she did. She also became we've talked about she's kind of shy and very kind of odd she moved out super fast pretty much when she could three roughly three-ish years later she was out of the house and she married a milkman uh which is just a funny thing for me uh she married a milkman who eventually retired young or something like that is what i read retired from being the milkman you gotta retire yeah you can't be walking the block anymore you can't be on the streets Popping milk, man. Oh, my God. (laughs) But she she moved out. Uh, She has had a tumultuous life. To say that the hauntings didn't stop, I mean, is at least something kind of fair to say. Because at least, if nothing else, the bad luck didn't stop. Uh, Her brother died, as we said. He died of cancer at 14 years old. Uh, The mother died of breast cancer at in 2003 and uh, Janet had an 18 year old son who also died he died in his sleep and that's the all the information I got on that is that he died in his sleep and that's it Uh, this is where it was in this 2015 interview that she talks about the Ouija board her direct quote is uh, as long as people don't meddle the way we did with Ouija boards it is quite settled it's a lot calmer than when I was a child it is at rest but will always be there she's talking about the home in that case because according to her the home is still very very active poltergeist wise but what she says now is that she and her sister by using the Ouija board influenced that activity and opened up a door to something more Mm -hmm. and that's what she claims now which is in terms of everything that's happened with her and how she usually is that's honestly the most down-to-earth thing i've heard her say you should have said the quote in her accent i can't do her accent their accent is so london so british (laughs) yeah it's so london yeah it's really hard to understand some things because Janet mumbles a lot. And then on top of that, she has a really thick, like Londoner accent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly what type of accent that's supposed, like what that's actually called. Cause I've, I've seen it before. Uh, it's, I I always consider it the Michael Caine accent because that's what he sounds like, but it's like where you like, instead of TH, you say Fs. So like, instead of thinking something, you're thinking something. It's yeah. it's just like those slight changes, but yeah, as a as a tiny mumbling child, oh my god, so <laughs> hard to. The truth is, is Bill whether it was her faking it or if he was real, he was more clear in a lot of cases, mm. uh, which is actually kind of a weird thing to think about. But yeah, so that was that's like part of what happened afterwards. Now, to say for Janice to say that the house is still haunted might actually be fair. Oh, well, I just Googled the street address to see if there's anything current. And now you're haunted. And now I'm haunted. But yeah, I was just thinking about the fact. So you have in the notes, it says something about like Peggy died, another family moved in, and they they reported strange noises and strange happenings, but nothing quite as haunted as as what janet experienced right so it encouraged i decided i wanted to google to see if like there's tours of the house or if there's any information of people living there it's still rented out to this day 
Uh, I one thing I think is funny is I never see anything about the landlord, which I think is interesting. Because <laughs> uh, if I was the landlord, I I would do a few interviews because a weird thing to happen on your property now the family who moved in that you mentioned they they reported they reported some weird noises the mom said that eventually it got to the point where it was she didn't know the history of the house the next family that moved in didn't know at all and she said that eventually it was weird because she would be upstairs at night so would her children and then she'd hear talking downstairs from like the kitchen which is makes my skin crawl but because i hate that type of thing I have always hated that idea. Like I said, I lived in an old house and like, that was always one of the things I was afraid of. Uh, nothing like that ever happened to me, but I was always afraid it was going to, but she reports that she hears that. And then she reads about the history of the house, freaks her out a little bit, but she doesn't move. And then her son, uh, who was 15 at the time, I think it said his name was Shaka. He, re- he woke up one night to an old man materializing in his room, like from the shadows. And then the old man started walking across the floor to the other side of the room. He freaked out. The mom ran into the room because he was freaking out. She, Mm. he told her what happened. She said, okay, we got to leave. They literally left the next day. Nope. They moved out the next. So they got it. They were there for two months total. That's it. And the first time what, Possibly might have been Bill because it sounds like Bill, but yeah. possibly was Bill shows up. She's no peace, bitch. She is the That's one who survives do. a horror movie. That's what <laughs> she is. I know. I'm like, get out of there. I again, I can't speak for you know. Uh, if you live in low income housing, I don't know what your options are, and it's obvious that Peggy was. Um, you know, a struggling single mother, you know, she wasn't very well educated and that kind of stuff. So I'm sure there were circumstances that made it so that she felt they had to stay in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, the thing, the, one of the, I don't know, I guess the skeptics remark about it is that they enjoyed the attention they got from, Maurice Gross, they enjoyed having him around, they enjoyed having a positive, you know, a male figure in their lives who was kind of like the daddy. Yeah, and he moved in at one point. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you want him to stay around? He was a positive influence, he liked being around them, he wanted to be around them. Yeah. That is definitely a part of the thing here. And you know, he's one of the few male figures that actually showed Janet and Margaret any concern. And why did he do that? Because he's a nice guy. Because he lost his own daughter. And he's a nice guy. And because his daughter was supposedly communicating from the grave. And oddly enough, he finds another Janet centered right. around Paul. That's kind of, you know, in a weird, in a, it's just his own creepy whatever like that he's dealing with all of his you know cyclical see i keep adding the l sick psycho okay i'm gonna stop um psychic psychical there we go Uh, but yeah he was he was searching for answers he was and he was i mean who wouldn't want to communicate with the dead if they could Mm -hmm. yeah can we talk about our favorite couple next? Let's talk about, oh yeah, I was going to say uh, real quick, another family still lives in the house today. Uh, the mom who chooses not to be identified currently, she has two young sons and she says that they know nothing about the house's history, but she absolutely does. So, and that's all she'll say about it. Uh, and she refuses to talk to reporters. This bitch is haunted. Yeah, I fear for them a little bit because I feel like it's really creepy that she won't talk about it. And the other family that was there before her moved out after like two months. So yeah. 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 Though good on that mom though, still for being like, we're done. We're out of here. <laughs> we're not, we're not hanging around the killers today. Fuck the Warrens. Yeah. We can talk about the Warrens. Let's talk about the Warrens. Real quick. A rant from conspiracy. What? The Warrens, first of all, are, 
predators. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it, for sure. Proven liars. Um, apparently, with this case specifically, they kind of just showed up, and uh, they are American. Uh, they kind of just showed up unannounced, uninvited. We were in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Across the world a little bit, but it's okay. And as something I listened to put it, uh, they showed up and were like, give me a paycheck. Yeah. I'm here to make cash off of your demise. <laughs> well, they don't take paychecks from research they do. They don't. I, I'll be fair to them. They don't. They make money off of hiring people to write books that they claim they are yeah. a part of. They find ways and around they it. Make they make cash, though. They make cash off their cases, though. Um, but yeah, the thing with this is it sounds like they were turned away if they even did show up. They yeah. kind of just were there along with the horde of other paranormal investigators. And they were told, yeah, fuck off, basically. <laughs> And then, like, once The Conjuring stuff started coming out, suddenly Janet and Laurie and Warren are, like, best friends. Yeah. Which, because why wouldn't Janet want a mommy? You know, her mom dies, and all of a sudden Lorraine's like, well, having Janet on the movie tour would make it more interesting. So Janet gets her mommy back, and there you go. Yeah. Yeah, and... Lorraine Warren made up like all this stupid bullshit about the story. Like she sensationalized it just as much as the Conjuring movie did. You know, she was like, they were possessed by evil demons. And I, I mentioned, I think in the first episode, the whole like levitating out of their beds and crossing paths. And that didn't happen. She's literally the only person that said any of those things, but they're totally the ones that, they like blow everything out of proportion because it's a better story. Yeah. Ed Warren is famous for the fact that his writer for Amityville, the most famous cases the Warrens worked on, uh, the he, most they worked on. Yeah. Uh, not according to them, but <laughs> he's famous. Ed, Ed is because the writer came out eventually and said, I went to Ed Warren when I was writing this book and I said, Hey, there's not enough information here. And the family is, they're telling completely different stories. And Ed's response to him was take what you can make up the rest. <laughs> and that's, that's how the Warrens did their cases. And you know, the Warren thing for me is only like in the last maybe five years or something like that. I actually really liked the Warrens for a long time when I first got interested in like all this research because their name pops up everywhere. But the reality of it is that the Warrens lied on if not everything, pretty much everything. I mean, I would say they at least lied on like, they had to have at least lied on like 70% of what they've done. And that is really unfortunate. I love the Conjuring movies. Dig it. Not who the Warrens were at all. I mean, like not even close. Well, and Guy Playfair in the interview I listened to, he said that Ed pulled him aside and was like, I could make you a lot of money. And it's like, Bitch. <laughs> if anything, these people are highly distressed and you're like, hey, cash. Hmm? They cash were in it for misery. They were they were extorting people for money. Amityville yeah. proven to be a hoax. Mm. And I'm saying that because they're connected to this case that it's a hoax, I'm saying that they're full of shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, like exactly. that's the that's what I was just gonna say. Is the funny thing is they were turned away most likely. Like they showed up to try and make this shit real, and the people who were investigating it were like, "Nope, we're doing this. We believe in this. Please go away." Yeah, Playfair said specifically. So after the movie came out, Playfair wasn't completely happy. I it could be because I'm pretty sure Playfair is not in it. If he is, he is a very, very, very small part. And even uh. Even gross. gross is treated as a side character in this investigation. Mm -hmm. He's also kind of treated like an idiot. Everything. He like in the yeah. one scene that I did watch, I haven't seen it in a long time, but we did rewatch one scene and like gross is in it during the scene when they're doing like the water in the mouth thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, Ed Warren is there like doing the speech, like come out bill and talk to me, whatever. 
and then like gross is on the sidelines like ha funny that he won't talk if you're not looking at him mm-hmm. it's like really you're just like the british asshole on the side over here yeah. that's just it's gonna make stupid comments yeah but playfair said specifically about the warrens uh he did some kind of podcast i guess and uh he said that the warrens would just randomly show up and it really doesn't even sound like they were allowed inside of the house they would literally show up announce their presence and leave so none of what lorraine says is even remotely true how did she see anything happen she didn't and while i don't necessarily believe everything that comes out of playfair's mouth because i've seen him contradict himself i've seen him contradict his own book I do believe that the Warrens did not have anything to do with this case. And the sisters yeah. don't even mention them until the movie becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. And Margaret, who I think is the, like, I don't think she's believable, honestly, in a lot of ways in this. Uh, Janet is a different case for me, but Margaret, I think is kind of just a liar that gets caught up in things and piggybacks yeah. off of her sister. Uh, she's like, overly fake ecstatic when they see Lorraine Warren for the oh second God, time. Lorraine. She used to comfort us and yeah. then she trails off. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all of this said, Ed did say something about the case. And to me, it just shows how he wasn't there. Are you going to read it? Uh, yeah, I was going to. You got to read it in, in a... Ed Warren Warren. I don't even know what he sounds like. I haven't heard an interview with him in a long time. He's from the East Coast. I do like Boston or something. Nah. Uh, (laughs) So what Ed said about this, and Ed, for people who don't know, he will not shut up if it's something he actually knows about. However, if it's something he doesn't, he'll usually give kind of a quick response. So what's the quote? In terms of the infield haunting, the data is there, should one care to look. In fact, much of it has been collected under such rigid conditions as to make a lot of other scientific research pale in comparison. Uh, for example, when Lorraine and I began investigating this past summer in Enfield, England, where the inhuman spirit phenomena was in progress, now you couldn't record the dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside that little house but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerialization of people and objects that were happening there. Not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings uh, made of these spirit voices speaking out loud in the rooms. In other words, Ed Warren had read the same newspapers as everybody else. Teleportations and dematerializations is what gets me, because like, that did not happen. They did. They (laughs) did happen, technically but they weren't huge in the case. There's one instance where Peggy claims that a toy rod materialized in front of her, but she says it was in front of her, but then she also says she turned around and then it was there. So that's not really in front of you, Peggy. Uh, it's behind you. But there was, a, there was one sequence early on where apparently a bunch of rocks came down from the ceiling and they said that those had to have just materialized because there's nowhere for them to come from. True story. Uh, yeah. So, but the, but I, again, that means he read the early papers. So. Yep. Cool. Now we get to the part where, <laughs> tell us, tell us, Jen, what do you think is the truth? Uh, well, I don't doubt that, that this family was haunted by something because of, Seeing Janet as an adult, it's like, she's got some trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the evidence is there. And I don't, I don't um, discount paranormal activity. I am very much a believer. So, and I think that, like I said earlier, the, the, the fact that it's stayed a valid case and has so much, it's hard to find the research, but once you start looking, it's there. And people still use it as, you know, as evidence of paranormal activity. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of think that, I mean, it makes more sense that it, it has some really odd instances in it. Because, like, you see, if you see movies like Paranormal Activity or whatever those fucking things are (laughs) they're all about the you know the 
this creepy and scary, like jumped out at you scary or yeah. like the, the child's face turning into a demon face or whatever. And in this, that's not the case. It's real life creepy shit. Like, yeah, nothing is like, yeah, not really there. Yeah. It's like, there's no demon faces. There's no like evil. E- there's almost not even really evil spirits. It's just this motherfucker. Who's like, <laughs> I'm bored and I can't move on, so I'm just going to fuck with you guys. Yeah. I mean, based on the interviews, the spirit supposedly thought it was fun. So, One thing I didn't do that I really wanted to do, and I just ran out of time, um, was look for... So apparently Dan Aykroyd <laughs> is a huge believer in paranormal. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. loved this case. Not surprising. He yeah. named one of the ghosts in Ghostbusters after, doesn't, so one one of the voices says Gozer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that so he, he named one of the ghosts in Ghostbusters Gozer. Oh, my God. Him. Yeah, we've so talked I, about Dan Aykroyd a couple times. I meant to look up, do some research to see if there's any footage of him talking about it, but I never <laughs> There probably is. He he's a huge ghost, supernatural, alien nerd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Honestly, it's hilarious. Yeah, I like him. So Jen's a believer. Jen's a believer. Yeah. All right, Cam. What are you? I there's a lot to this. I mean, we just did two episodes of it because there's a lot, and we still didn't go over all the information that has to do with this whole case. Yeah. Uh. Now, that said, I think the majority of what this comes down to, at least for me, is kind of like, it's not whether or not it happened so much as, like, do you believe Guy Playfair and uh, Morris Gross? Because at the end of the day, if you don't believe them and some of the things they witness, and you're characterizing those as, like, them not telling the full truth and kind of embellishing, then it's very easy to say this was hoaxed because there's some things like then you take that takes away like boxes flying through the air, chairs being lifted, a giant metal thing being thrown across a room that takes away those accounts because you're not believing them. And I do find Morris gross hard to believe. I think there's a lot of reasons for him to believe in this. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons for him to push this. I think one is the, kind of reluctance to pull away from uh, Janet, who his daughter had just died not that long ago. I think there was a connection there for both him and her. And uh, no matter how brief it was, I mean, it was still 18 months. And I think that was kind of a big thing for him. I also think he was trying to move up in the SPR. And he did move up in the SPR. He became one of their most famous researchers. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting, he's a lot more skeptical later in life when he's doing his research than when he is earlier. So I think like even later, Maurice Gross would have been, or Morse Gross would have been different looking at the yeah. Enfield case than he was when he was younger. Uh, Playfair himself for me is more believable. However, I've also found interviews where he contradicts himself. Like someone challenged, a skeptic challenged him on, the fact that the SPR came in when he and Gross were researching this case. And as we said earlier, they, the SPR came in and said that they think the whole thing's a hoax in the middle of those two researching it. He says the SPR didn't say that his own book says that they did. So he contradicts his own facts. That's just one of the many cases where he contradicts himself. Uh, Cause that was actually the first time I had heard that information was in the book, not in that interview. But that said, don't know that that's the thing. It's like, I don't know that. I I don't believe Margaret. I honestly don't believe a single thing that happened with her. I I watched that interview. She is a, an irritated teenager. That's what yeah. she is in the interview that I see. And like I can't. She's rolling her eyes. She's trying to get her sister to say certain things and not say other things. And I can't believe that. I find Janet harder to believe. She's definitely a haunted person for sure. Mm-hmm. She has some problems and I feel really bad for her because a lot has happened in her life too. Yeah. Uh, 
But I honestly don't know. I think I would love to see the other photos and audio evidence, but I don't have access to that. And I think- What do you hope is the truth? I hope this family really wasn't tormented and I hope they were hoaxing the whole thing. On that note, however, (laughs) though, I think it's more fun if it's real. I think it's more fun if he is still in that house, that ghost. Uh, Don't like that. I also think, though, that there's a lot of proof that the girls hoaxed it and that Guy and Gross, they, they both ignored that heavily. There were tons of people that came in and debunked so many things and caught the girls in the act in the act of hoaxing more than two percent of this, and yet they ignored it and they told those people to leave. So that makes me not believe in it as much. So I'm like kind of on the fence, but at the same time, I am more in the skeptic category on this for sure. So I want to see more evidence, and I believe they hoaxed at least more than what they're saying. All right, Allie. Straight from the mouth of the beast. <laughs> what do you believe, Ellie? Anyway, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm like totally in the middle here, you know, because there's a lot of things, like Cam said, that are like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, children are being children. But then there's also a lot of things that are like, how the fuck did that work? Right. I mean... Like, the thing where she's on top of the radio, hopped up on Valium, like, still totally unconscious. How? I mean, they didn't show it. They didn't show how far it is off the ground, but it looks like it would be at least, like, over her shoulder. So she'd have to do some, like, real climbing. talk about drugging 11-year-old girls? (laughs) With Valium. Right? Just like, oh, she's having a seizure? Just knock her out. Whatever. 70s were so fun. Oh, yeah. I feel like the doctor showed up and they were like, there's a ghost. And he was like, I'm going to get out of <laughs> here. <off>. Valium. <laughs> That's- yeah. So there's like, there's like weird things like that that don't make any sense. And I mean, there were so many people that said that they saw furniture moving with like nobody standing by it. So like, I know everyone keeps saying, you know, like witness testimony is really unreliable. I just feel like there's so many. I'm like in the middle because like I I watched that video too of them being interviewed. I just like, (laughs) they like giggle and like side eye each other. And like Margaret is constantly like, no, stop. Don't tell, don't tell him that or whatever. I just feel like they're really suspicious in that video. But like, yeah, I don't know. Both sides. Yeah. I'm on the fence. (laughs) I want to believe. I think it's hard just to, be like like it's definitely but also i don't want to because i don't want something like bill to be real <laughs> it's it's hard to just go like this isn't real though you have to discount oh, yeah. too many things because this is finally something where we actually have pictures and video and audio and all kinds of shit well and like, i don't normally have that in conspiracy theories or anything like this i feel like i'm like getting to the point on this one where like at some point i have to be like the flat earthers who are like <laughs> where people are like, you know, gravity holds us to the earth. They're like, gravity's not real. Like at some point you're just denying something because it doesn't work. And that's, <laughs> right. that's what this feels like is it feels like I, I don't know. It's hard to deny a hundred different witness cases. This just in, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Jen, Jen's on the side that is real. I'm more on the skeptic side. Allie's in the middle. Together is a really good sandwich. <laughs> or a really bad teeter-totter, because it doesn't go anywhere. So. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Any, any closing statements? That was a spooktacular, spooktober, spook story. Spook finale. Yes. I. Hell yeah. I want to do something not creepy. Yeah, give us your not creepy conspiracy <laughs> theories because uh, uh, we want to sleep again. Linda Moulton Howe's harvesting human bodies for DNA from aliens is starting to sound like a peaceful, <laughs> tranquil conspiracy right? to go over right now. <laughs> so, yeah, my closing statement is that the voice is still creepy if you just listen to it. Yeah, please don't play it again. Yeah. No. I want to sleep, like, mm-hmm. now. Yeah, anyway... Absolutely. Let us know what you think. And thank you, Jen, for sticking with us through two parts. Of course. 
two very long parts. <laughs> two very spooky parts. Um, but for real, let us know what you think. Cam's not allowed to do Let us know if you have evidence that we didn't get to see or if you found something we didn't. Share that to our social media pages if you find it, because that'd be awesome. It'd be an easy way to look at it. Uh, let us know your story. You can always email us. We have an email. Allie knows it. <laughs> Why don't you? I don't know. <laughs> it's conspiracy1 at gmail. It's that. Um, you can find us on social media at Twitter and Facebook conspiracy what Um, we also have a Goodreads if you would like to uh, look at our book lists I am going to start posting those because it seems like most episodes we do have a book or two oh yeah and this one certainly did so please look out for that read the book yeah cool I've been Cameron I've also been Allie She's and only I'm, been Nelly. And I'm Jen. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Good night, San Diego. Why did this just turn into a newscast? <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay stitches, bitches. Stay stitches. Conspiracy, goodbye. <laughs>